0: This is that's in the bible.com
1: That's in the Bible, episode 130, Self-Discipline.
0: Troublesome times are here Filling men's hearts with fear Freedoms we all hold dear How is that stake. Humbling your hearts to God from the chastening rod Pilgrims
1: Christians away Jesus is Hello! Welcome to That's morning. in the Bible. My name's Eric. Glad you've tuned in again to join us for another episode of That's in the Bible, this time self Discipline, Pastor Strobel will be bringing that study, and apparently he said, uh, I need to bring this one for Eric, so I appreciate that, Pastor Strobel. And we've got don't, a full...
2: Don't, don't start by lying.
1: <laughs> See? I have no self-discipline. And so uh, that was Pastor Strobel. Pastor Strobel in Lockport, New York. How are you, sir, today?
2: I'm doing well, thank you
1: thanks for joining us and thanks for bringing the study today we also have uh pastor matt up in the uh, beautiful arctic Uh, is it snowy up there still
3: yeah we've had four days of storms no school no planes yesterday we finally had planes so we're on the track to at least having a nice day today
1: (laughs) nice and speaking of snow last time we were all four together I think Steve, uh, Pastor Steve, was expecting a a large snowstorm, and I think you've had a couple since then.
4: Well, we've had a couple since then, but uh, the last one, I think Pastor Strobel got it worse than uh, what we've got. I'm looking at green grass, rain. Actually, green green grass is is actually, (laughs) it's not brown and gray like you do get in the winter. And I've got about four or five deer that are beyond uh, my uh, fence in my backyard here that are just watching them uh, graze around and so forth, but all the snow except for the piles right at the end of the driveway where it was uh, piled up well above my head uh, are all gone. So uh, we've uh, we've escaped another one. But this is what uh, the two or three. I think the last one uh, we probably got about two be between two to three feet. I think Pastor Strobel might have had more. So we're all clear down here.
1: Nice. I know I know, West Seneca, Buffalo area, you guys are not, uh, you know, unused to having having oh. a bit of snow. Lockport too, I guess, right? Yeah.
2: Yes, yep. We're sitting in pretty much the same conditions as Steve right now. Uh, temperature, I think, is supposed to drop, and this rain that we're getting is going to be giving us some more snow, and I, I hope not too much. I've avoided looking to see what the forecast has been to this point. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the last snow was was rough. We within about 24 hours, we it was not just snow, but it was high winds. Yeah. So we had like sustained winds of 30 miles an hour for about about 36 hours, and the, the gusts would get up to you know 60 plus, and uh, and that's what really made it bad. So within that within about 24 hours or so, we got um, two feet uh, of snow. And it it piled up very badly, and the rough thing was, um, you know, this this was all happening right before Christmas. Christmas was on a Sunday, and um, to this point, at to that point, we in all the 35 plus years that I've been here um what what year wait what year is this 2023 (laughs) when did I get here I don't know I lost track time uh 1987 yeah so 35 plus years that I've been here we have never had to cancel a service other than COVID you know but for weather related (laughs) and so this one was like right on the edge there was driving bans in in our county um the driving ban got lifted uh, early Christmas morning so we could have but you know as I went to we had dug ourselves out on Saturday night when it had kind of uh, slowed down and stopped. But when I went to check, the church was just all full. I mean, just big high drifts all across the parking lot. Our plow guy, you know, tried to get there a little bit later later than I would have liked him, but he couldn't even do it with his truck. He made a couple swipes and then had to call in a tractor to do it. The tractor didn't come till Monday, and so... It was very frustrating that we actually had to um, not have services. But I had told our people, if this ever happens, just tune into our YouTube channel and I'll, I'll do church from home Amen. as long as I have electricity. So I did, and that's what we did. It wasn't ideal, but um, just like during COVID, COVID, I would go to church and we would do the live uh, broadcast for each and every service, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. So I never missed a service, and our, <laughs> and our folks were able to tune in. And then uh, that's pretty much what we did on uh, Christmas. We gave Sunday school, although I did have something else uh, planned. I had one of our um, men who used to be a pastor was going to bring a special Sunday school lesson. So I just continued in Psalms instead and then did the Sunday morning and then um, Sunday night. And by Wednesday, praise the Lord, we were back in the building. And it was so nice to just have people and congregational singing.
1: (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) Pastor Strobel, you you still have uh, midweek service as well as Sunday morning, Sunday school preaching, and then Sunday night, correct? Yes, amen As I know, some churches have have kind of dropped those, uh, particularly yeah. midweek and Sunday night.
2: Yeah, I mean it's not it's not unusual. There, it, it, there's a lot of different ways it goes. Sometimes they'll drop Sunday school and have Sunday morning. Drop Sunday night. Have Sunday morning. And then, like you say, drop the midweek service until so all they're left is Sunday morning. You know, and as as Bible believing pastors, we try to encourage people to come out to all the services. I every once in a while, I tell them, "Look, um, you know, we have a Sunday evening service, and it's a different message than the Sunday morning. Just in case they think it's a rumor." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and. I let him know. Look, if you th- you might think I'm being hard on you, but do you realize how much easier my life would be if all I had to do is preach one <laughs> message Sunday morning every mm. week <laughs> instead mm. of just, just four times? So it's it's not about me; it's about um, the Lord. And He said about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. He said we're to be exhorting one another so much more as you right. see the day approaching, not so Amen. much less.
1: Amen. 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 Now, now, Steve, go back with you now. I, the, I think it was that first big snowfall you got that there were some some folks that actually passed away in during that snowstorm in Buffalo.
4: Uh yeah, in fact they probably had more for this last one uh because of yes. the blizzard and and having people I yeah. think there were I think uh upwards of 40 uh people that mm-hmm. passed away uh there in Buffalo, the Buffalo area. Uh I think Buffalo might have gotten hit harder than than either Pastor Strobel and myself. I know yes. one of the fellows I have up in—he's kind of up in, uh, oh, I want to say Riverside area, somewhere around up in there, which is a neighborhood of, of Buffalo on the northern end. And they were—they were upwards of three feet, in the drifts because of the uh, the high winds and so forth. Some people had had cardiac, uh, uh, you know, events because of shoveling. Some people were were trapped in their in their vehicles and uh, mm-hmm. either. Rose to death or died from carbon monoxide poisoning I don't, I'm not sure which uh, yeah, I think there were both they passed cases away there I'm sorry
2: yeah I think there were both cases of, of that yeah. those happening yep. Uh,
4: so it was it was a pretty uh, rough situation the city of Buffalo was uh, probably stayed in a driving band the longest which affected us uh, as a result because our church is in South Buffalo. And uh, they weren't able to get down uh, into some of the streets and stuff for days, days later, uh, probably four or five days before some of the streets were ever cleared and they lifted the driving ban. Uh, They had uh, a National Guard out and and, various uh, agencies from around the state and so forth that uh, came and were helping out. Uh, we were able to, to try to get David, and, and uh, my daughter Jess was was uh, staying with him, and we uh, were able to get him, I think, on Monday. Uh, we drove down into the uh, just, I live in West Seneca, and it's right butted up against South Buffalo, and uh, the two were just like one was a third world country, the other one was was, uh, was the United States. I mean, it was just a drastic difference from the roads and how they were how they were cleared and, and so forth. And, and it was pretty hazardous. A lot of stranded cars and uh, they had some vehicles that were, were picking up the cars and moving them so the plows and front end loaders could get through and dump trucks and, and all kinds of stuff trying to move the snow because there's no place to, to put the snow. A lot of people in, in the, the neighborhoods of, of Buffalo are taking the snow from their driveways and their, and their sidewalks and throwing it out into the street because they have no place to put it. There's, they really have no front yards. They're basically a sidewalk and, and uh, maybe a postage stamp for a yard, and that's it. And so that just complicates things because people trying to drive and, and get out or, or whatever – and uh, it's it's really a quagmire, and it's really kind of a rough situation to to do it. And a lot of the streets are pretty narrow, and people park on the street, so they have ones, you know they alternate sides parking throughout the week, and and if you're I mean plows plow them in, <laughs> they have to dig them out, and it's it's just a it's just really a mess. So it's kind of a tough situation that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm.
1: I know, you know, we're we're sorry for the loss of life, the people that lost their uh, lives, yes. but, you know, to to think that, you know, these people, many of them got up in the morning and were on their way to work, and uh, they didn't anticipate that this would be their last, you know, day on earth. And, well, there were
4: plenty of warnings, but, you know, just like anything else, people uh, will just either ignore it or think that they can get through it or haven't listened or or one of those circumstances, but... You know, with the complication of vehicles being on the road and the plows trying to get through and they can't get through because of the because of the stranded vehicles and stuff there are a lot a lot of vehicles that were uh, damaged uh, because of uh, because of the plows trying to get through and, and uh, do their job so man
0: yeah
2: and to your point yeah to your point Eric that's you're right some they, they didn't expect it even if they didn't heed the warning. Right. which they got, mm-hmm. they did not expect they were going to be going out into eternity.
1: So just, it just re- is a reminder, if you have, uh, you know, you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior and not believed on him, behold, today is the day, you know, now is the accepted time. So Amen. Amen. don't put it off because um, we, we're not guaranteed, you know, another minute on this earth. And you, I don't care right. how young you are, how healthy you appear to be um, you know there. folks are dying every day and uh, not realizing that today was my last day on this on this planet so we'd be remiss not to uh, not to say that and Matt um, how are things there I, I, I think you told me and, and then I did see on the news that there were some some folks that uh, passed away uh, due to a polar bear incident south of you
3: yeah, south of us, a um, little village called Wells, Alaska. So if you look on a map, uh, we kind of jut out here in Point Hope out to the west a little bit. And you go south, and uh, you'll see another piece of land that juts out, and that'll be Wells, Alaska. And yeah, just a couple days ago, uh, they got reports, I think it was around 2 p.m. I don't know a, a whole lot about it, but um, you know, I know the village is uh, about 150 uh, villagers there. And it was a lady and a young boy, um, not sure how old, um, but there was reports that the polar bear was chasing a bunch of uh, the, the residents there, and then I guess uh, it got a hold of the lady and the uh, the boy, and uh, somebody finally shot the polar bear uh, and, and killed it, but by that time, injuries uh, were too much, they were fatal. So both the woman and the, the young boy passed away, so... That that place definitely needs the people there. The family there, of course, really needs prayer. Um, You know, when you have when you have a community that small, you know, close knit. I mean, we're close close knit here with less than a thousand people in this village. Um, I can't imagine you know having that few of people how close and how well you know somebody. You know, um, most likely you're probably passing by them at least you know once a week, if not every day, and uh, getting to know them. So definitely, you know, the family needs prayer, but um you know that i know the media's they never try and waste a good tragedy uh so what i know some of them are trying to do is they're trying to say see you know it's global warming there's not as much you know ice now and and so the polar bears are coming up on the land more and and that might be the case that maybe there's less you know ice in the water and things like that uh but um you know it's not necessarily because of man made things you know i mean the we know of course we're not going to get a whole study into this but but you know that's just how the earth has been it, it heats and warms and and then cools down and, and all that kind of stuff so anyway it's just uh, sad that you know the news media will take a tragedy like that and try and capitalize off of it but that's what they do best but uh, they definitely need prayer so amen and uh, we've we've had some polar bears, uh, already a few come into the village, uh, this, this winter. Um, so definitely just, uh, we would cover your prayers just for safety, especially for the kids. Some of the kids still walk to school and things like that. And, uh, so yeah, definitely would love your prayers.
1: Amen. Amen. And, uh, I know we've received some questions in the past regarding, who are you guys? You know, well, I can tell you that uh, each of the pastors, Pastor Matt, Pastor Steve, and Pastor Scott Strobel, they're, they're all ordained ministers, pastors here. So um, if you want more information about each uh, each one of us, you can go to thatsinthebible.com. And if you click on the About section, you'll see a short um, write-up for each person and what their uh, qualifications are and who they are. So uh, there's that. Um, We're going to do a couple of different things here today, but before we do that, I'd like to uh, just give you some more contact
0: info. Have a question or topic that you want covered? Email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or leave a phone message at 716-584-1611. God bless.
1: All right, that was the That's in the Bible uh, quartet, not to be confused with the baritones <coughs> who we hope to have on soon. I'm Going to record Steve and his, uh, his sons actually, that uh, have a Amen. have a great uh, quartet, gospel quartet group. But one of the other things that we wanted to do was that we, you know we have um, they call it evergreen. We we a lot of our past episodes are still um. Succinct and still important. And um, I think often the most recent episodes that we put up get the most uh, play recently. But we thought we maybe would highlight a few of the past episodes. And so I've asked um, actually, Pastor Strobel came up with this idea to maybe each one of us will take an episode and talk a little bit about it and uh, direct you to that episode. So if you're looking for something, hey, I've listened to this one. Uh, What else do you guys have? Here are some other ideas. So Pastor Strobel, why don't you start us off?
2: All right, I'm going to highlight an episode that really goes well with the one I'm going to bring today, Uh, although we're not going to be covering the same material. Uh, But uh, that's an episode I did on fasting, and that was back in March of uh, 2018, March 6th. It's episode number 64, and you should be able to search and find it on our uh, website, um, Eric might even be able to help tell you how to do that better than me, but fasting is going for a period of time without eating. And the Bible, uh, talk talks about that in both testaments. It gives you plenty examples of people who did that. And there is in the book of Isaiah chapter 58, a, just a, a concentrated amount of information about fasting, which is often overlooked, but as uh, you look at it, it's very enlightening about that. And that's one of the things that I get into um, but fasting is a way to really uh, get a hold of God and get the Lord's attention, uh, and and it helps you out <clears throat> really in very many areas of your life. So I want to encourage you to do that. It would take self discipline to do some fasting, and that's what I'll be talking about, Lord willing, in a little bit today.
1: Amen, Pastor Steve.
4: Amen. Uh, I thought about uh, one that we did back in April twelfth, two thousand eleven. It's episode number forty eight. And it's, uh, Do You Really Know the Lord? And the subtitle to that, The Tale of Two Kings. And uh, the, I guess the reason why I, I picked this one is because people have, uh, especially today, have their own ideas about who God is. And they've got this idea that they can just make up a God in their own mind. And uh, he will accommodate them in, in whatever their particular persuasions are and uh, will be less guilty, I guess you could say, of, uh, of their actions and, and how, they, uh, how they treat things. So the tale of two kings basically is, is highlighting two kings and how God dealt with them when he exposed their sin. And uh, I'd uh, encourage you to go through that because it would have direct application to you. Uh, whether you're saved or whether you're lost, uh, would have uh, an application to you, and uh, would help you understand how God deals with people when when He puts their finger on their sin and and uh, how they respond to Him. So,
1: Amen, Amen, and Pastor Matt.
3: Yeah, Amen. Um, I think one of the you know episodes that I would like to uh, talk about is the superiority of the King James Bible, and that's episode twenty-five. It was done November 25th of 2009, and one of the reasons why I'm bringing it up is because it just seems like in the past week, I've uh, seen and, and personally been a part of uh, conversations with um, even Bible graduates now. There's there's a Bible college in Oklahoma that um, I was even thinking about possibly, you know, uh, trying to get some of these teenagers here in the village to have a desire to go to a Bible college. And it's of course very hard to find one that they can go and stay and, and have a place to stay and things like that. And so this one in Oklahoma, I was really thinking about, I was talking to a couple of different graduates that have graduated there, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And they said, well, I don't know how it is, you know, but when I went, you know, we believe the King James Bible and and I knew that they took a good stand on the King James Bible. And anyway, um, You know, I don't go on Facebook a lot, but uh, saw one of the graduates that that I um, he was a teenager when I was in uh, church there, and 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 then he went to this Bible college and and so anyway, he had posted this post somebody else had put up about you know that uh, you know any translation is really good. You know, there's there's a couple bad translations, but most every translation of the Bible is good today and stuff like that. So. So, um, and so anyway, so I messaged him and I said, listen, I uh, disagree on you, with you on that. You know, I, I mean, you could have a perfect translation of a corrupt manuscript and yes, it might be a perfect translation, but it's corrupt. And, and I said, you got to stick with the King James Bible. Cause that's, you know, of course comes from the Texas Receptus and, and, uh, And uh, it comes most importantly from Antioch, Syria. And, you know, nothing good comes out of Egypt, which is, of course, where all the other Bible versions come from, the manuscripts and things like that. And so, anyway, not that I, you know, put a whole lot of stock in it, but I was looking at who liked all his, uh, and I was the first one to comment, and uh, somebody put a whole bunch of likes on his uh, post and not on mine. So, I kind of did a little digging and saw that every single one of those that liked his post was from that Bible college and uh, younger guys. And so it's just unfortunate. You know, I, of course, I haven't gone. That's why I'm not saying the name of the college, but uh, I haven't gone and, and called them or anything like that to see what their stand is anymore on it. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of the guys coming out of Bible college from there now uh, just are not strong and believing the King James Bible and why they should believe the King James Bible and how important it is. So that's the superiority of the King James Bible, episode 25. Also, another evangelist. When I first got saved, I was really listening to him a lot. He he did a lot of um, he did a lot of you know youth camps and and things like that, youth rallies and stuff like that. And so he was always really strong in the King James Bible and things like that. And now he's gone off the deep end. And uh, every once in a while, I would tune in every year to you know he became a pastor in Tennessee and. I started to, uh, you know, maybe once a year, a couple times a year, try and tune in. And every year he would start going downhill. And I don't know how many times all four of us have said it. Once you start messing with the music in your church and you start going contemporary, um, then quickly the Bible goes away. The King James Bible, how important the King James Bible is. You start getting away from that. And then eventually you just start allowing a bunch of heresies and different things like that. And that's exactly what's happened to him. He doesn't take a stand on the King James Bible anymore. He's got material that uh, promotes the English Standard Version, things like that. So anyway, I said all that to say this, is that it's uh, so important to, to understand why we believe the King James Bible and um, why it is a true word of God in the English language.
1: Amen. <clears throat> in the episode I'd like to just highlight for a few seconds is an episode called, That's in the Bible. And that came out um, in June of 27, 2018. Uh, that was episode number 70. And you'd be surprised at the amount of um, words and phrases that everybody uses every day, uh, that um, really around the world, that comes straight from the King James Bible. And you're saying, I don't believe that. Isn't the King James Bible just all these and those and old-fashioned? No. Um, you will well, listen to it, episode number 70, that's in the Bible, and you'll see that just about every day you'll hear some phrase or some word that comes directly from the King James Bible. Um, so that's, I think it you know, certainly is a relevant one for the name of our podcast, but it's certainly relevant in how the Bible has influenced everybody. And uh, whether you are a Bible believer or not, you're often speaking the Bible, and uh, you'll see that again on episode number 70, That's in the Bible. But today, we're going to listen to Pastor Strobel who's going to bring us a study on self-discipline.
2: All right, I'm going to begin in the book of Job. If you want to follow along, it'll be Job chapter 36 and let's start with uh, one verse uh, from Job 36, and I'll read that to you, and then we'll have a word of prayer. So Job 36, and verse number 10, it says this, He openeth also their ear to discipline, and commandeth that they return from iniquity. And let's go ahead and pray. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. Lord, you gave us life, you gave us breath, you made us a soul, and Uh, Lord, gave us the opportunity to live for eternity with thee forever in heaven. And and we thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood and gave us access to that. The the fact that he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead. Lord, that gospel, we thank you for the connection that we can have to you through it. And Lord, we come to your throne even now and ask your blessing upon our Bible study today. We pray you'd minister to each and every person. If there's anybody out there that doesn't know Jesus, we pray you'd uh, point them to him even now. And uh, convict their hearts and souls and help them to get saved. And Lord, for those of us that know you, we pray you'd edify us, strengthen us. Uh, Lord, uh, place us where necessary under conviction. And at the same time, minister grace to us, Lord, that we could uh, implement anything that you speak to our hearts about today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, In Job chapter 36 here, the speaker in this portion of the book of Job is Elihu. Elihu. And at this point in the book, Job is done speaking and his three friends are done answering him. And that's when Elihu speaks up. Elihu had been there the whole time as um, they went back and forth with each other, but he just watched and he just listened. And he did that in silence as he listened to his elders go back and forth about Job's troubles. And when Job's three friends finally ceased to answer him, Elihu decided it was time for him uh, to speak up. And when he did, uh, he did a lot better job of assessing the situation than uh, they did. Elihu's discourse began in chapter 32 and he's been going on since then as we get to chapter 36. And here, uh prior to where I read for you, here in chapter 36, Elihu ascribes righteousness to God in verse number 3. And then following that in verse 4, he proclaims this: For truly my words shall not be false. He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. And what the uh people are about to hear from Elihu's mouth is they're about to hear Wisdom from God through Elihu. And so then look again in Job 36 and verse number 10, if you would. And it says, He openeth also their ear to discipline and commandeth that they return from iniquity. Now, if the people respond correctly to that and and return from iniquity, as he talked about there at the end of the verse, if they respond correctly to that, then verse 11 comes into play. And that says this, If they obey and serve him, They shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. If the people do not respond correctly to that, then verse 12 says, But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword, and they shall die without knowledge. So you have two options. You can take heed to the uh, admonition given by Elihu, uh, by uh, what the Lord wants them to do. And you get blessed. You don't, and then uh, you're going to have trouble. And, and this is really consistent with the recurrent principles of the Word of God. Uh, you do right in the sight of God, you get blessed, you don't you don't do right, and things go badly for you. And this is a message that you find throughout the Scriptures. Uh, this is a message of, chap- of Deuteronomy chapter 28 to Israel. Uh, basically, do right and you'll be blessed on every side. Do wrong and you'll be cursed on every side. Uh, this is a message of Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26 through 28 which says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. And that tends to be how things go. I know there are exceptions to the rule. Job was an exception right here in, in the book of Job, who was, he was doing right and then went through difficulty. But prior to that, he had been blessed. After that, that, he was doubly blessed, and even going through that, he had uh, a, f- a fellowship with the Lord, uh, albeit their exchange got um, uh, pretty intense, as, as you know, if you're familiar with the book of Job. So, th- so there are exceptions, and, and we're not saying that if you serve the Lord, everything's going to be perfect all the time, but uh, you will find that things go better with Jesus. And things go better when you are right with Jesus and you're right with the Lord. And even if they don't go exactly how you planned, because down here on this earth, you know, it's not heaven yet. Uh, you still have a closeness and a fellowship and you have grace that God gives you to go through anything. And he can perfect uh, his strength in your weakness. And all that being true, the, the general rule is, you know, you stay right with the Lord and things tend to to go better for you, and if you don't always see that better return down here on this earth, then when you're going through the fire and staying right with him, uh, you are earning for yourself a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory and so we don't always we're not always to be looking As a matter of fact, he says while well, we look not at the Things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but things which are not seen are eternal. That's where the real treasure comes into. That being said, uh, we who have served the Lord, we can look around at our lives. We who have, have lived for him, and and we love him, and we appreciate him, we can look and we can see blessings on every side that God's given us. And uh, we did make these happen for ourselves. God uh, provided these things. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of Lights, and it's our good Father in Heaven that's done these things for us. And this principle of um, doing what you're supposed to do, and the Lord blessing, and then uh, transgressing, and then uh, you know you getting punished for that—it it is very consistent throughout the Scriptures. It, it, this also aligns with the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke 11:28, when He said, uh, "Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it." There's a blessing for for doing right and being obedient to the Word of God. <laughs> And to get you to that potential place of blessing, uh, sometimes God has to shake things up, and, and God will in a person's life who's not in that place, uh, God will try to wake them up. And that's where Job 36, verse number 10 comes in. <clears throat> Job thirty six ten is the catalyst that the Lord uses to try to bring people into a place of a blessing, that place that is described in Job 36, verse 11. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. That's uh, the holy pleasures of the Lord. That's uh, prosperity, not just, you know, getting rich and not even getting rich all the time. Not even having lots of money all the time. But but just the spiritual blessing, the fullness of a a life that's right with God. That abundant life that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, extended uh, to those that would, would know him. So. Let's um, notice that at the end of verse number 10, again, we see that God commands the people to return from iniquity. Notice it again. And commandeth that they return from iniquity. God commands them to do that, and so if they repent and return to God and follow the Lord's ways, they'll get the blessing of verse 11. And yet if they rebel and remain entrenched in their sins, they incur the wrath of verse number 12. So, so having kind of set the stage, I want to especially notice the beginning of verse number 10. Just before the Lord's commanding them to return from iniquity, it says, He openeth also their ear to discipline. Now the word discipline has a couple of applications that apply here. Uh, first would be the idea of chastisement, as in when somebody uh, does something wrong and then disciplinary measures are taken uh, against them. This could happen at a job, this could happen in a, in a family, this could happen um, in a lot of different situations, it could happen in your relationship with the Lord where disciplinary measures are required to be taken because you haven't been doing right. And this is where we get this idea of chastisement that's found in the scriptures. So in the book of Job there in chapter 36, if you back up a little bit from verse number 10, look at um, how he led up to that beginning in verse 8. He says, And if they be bound in fetters, and beholden in cords of affliction. Now before I go further, um, the they there that he's talking about is from verse number 7. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever, and they are exalted. It had to do with people that were righteous, and in this case kings uh, that were righteous. Uh, we who are saved, we've been made kings and priests to the Lord, Revelation 1, 5, and 6. But um, he's talking about righteous people, and you have here somebody that's righteous potentially being bound in fetters and holden in cords of affliction. So again, Job 36, 8, And if they be bound in fetters and beholden in cords of affliction, he showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. He openeth also their ear to discipline, and commandeth that they return from iniquity. Even the righteous can get backslidden. Even the righteous can go astray. And he says, though if they find themselves having done that, they're bound in fetters. They're holding the cords of afflictions. They're reaping for their transgressions. At that point, the Lord shows them their, their work. And 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 what they've done, and then he opens area to di- discipline, commands them to return from iniquity. So the Lord's purpose in the affliction in verse number eight is to bring somebody back to Him, just like this process of chastisement that we talk about. Uh, the same chastisement uh, also bringing one back to a place of God's blessing in their lives, back to the Lord and to the place of His blessing. And again, this kind of things found in both testaments uh, for chastisement. Hebrews chapter twelve verse seven says. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Then down in verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Amen. And, and when we've experienced chastisement from the Lord, it's not joyous. It is grievous. But he's got a point to it. When, when the Lord chastens, it seems like madness to us, but, but there is a method uh, that God has to what to us seems like his, his madness. And that method is, he says, Now no chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless afterward. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. He gets the righteous that that have gone astray uh, back to where they ought to be. The good shepherd pulls out his rod as that sheep is going astray into a place of danger where he might uh, enter into where the wolf is lurking or go off a cliff and and be harmed um, or get separated from the flock and not be able to take care of himself. And he gets that rod out and and he starts tapping on the sheep and maybe a little harder, depending on how stubborn the sheep is, to get him back into the fold. And God uses that. And Job 36, 8 describes the chastening as being bound in fetters and holden with the cords of affliction. So, what, what Job 36, 8 describes is uh, the event that they're experiencing, this event of, of chastisement. Job 36, verse number 9 describes the eye opening. It says, Then he showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. So, the Lord trying to show them what's going on. And Job 36 verse 10 describes the ear opening. He openeth also their ear to discipline and then gives them a command. So God uses the chastisement to help them to see what they've done wrong and to see how they've wandered astray and how far that they've uh, come because their transgressions have exceeded. So they can really see and grasp this. Then he opens their ears to what he's got to say about it, to the discipline, and uh, commands them to get back, commands them to come on back to him. So you have the the event, the eye opening, the ear opening. They experience the affliction. They see what they've done wrong to cause that affliction. and Then they hear the voice of the Lord calling them back to himself and to that abundant life that he offers. That's the first application of discipline here. And just before before we get into the second, let me uh, point out here that uh, Job 36 verse number 10 is the only reference to the word uh, discipline uh, in the Bible. So, the only time you see that word. Now, the word discipline then here has another application which enters into the truths in this passage, and that'll be the idea of someone disciplining himself to follow through what the Lord had commanded him to do and actually do what he commanded, actually forsake his sins and return to a right relationship with God. Because you can see what you've done wrong and you can hear the Lord um, calling you back and then recognize that God is right and still not do anything about it. And so he opened their ears to discipline. There is a discipline that it takes for you to follow through and respond to what the Lord has told you to do, and then also a discipline to maintain that way of life and not let it slip. And and this um, this victory over sins that we need, uh, this these blessings that we need to get them, it's going to take discipline. To properly live victoriously over sins takes discipline. To attain to spiritual growth takes discipline. To maintain a fruitful life and, and live for the Lord that takes discipline. To run your race that's set before you, and to stay the course, that takes discipline, and to finish your course and to finish it well, that takes discipline, and that's that's what the message is about today. It's discipline. It is self-discipline. It is a discipline that you have to impose upon yourself to cause yourself to do what you're supposed to do, even when you don't feel like doing it, and there is no victorious Christian living without self-discipline. It doesn't happen. So self-discipline is that discipline that you oppose upon yourself in order to do that which is right and that which is necessary so that you can receive the desired benefits of such actions. Because there's a lot of times when you're just not going to want to do it and you're not going to feel like doing it. And you're going to have to discipline yourself to do it. Here's, here's humanity today, and, and Christians are, are are no different or a little different, and some of them are are just absolutely no different. So many people want the end results and benefits of something without the process of disciplining themselves to bring about those results. Uh, There's many people that would like to be good at some skill, but they don't want to discipline themselves to practice and work at it. There's many people that would like to be knowledgeable about some subject or or other and, and, and really have to grasp on it, but they won't discipline themselves to study. There's many people that would like to have a better knowledge and understanding of the Bible but they won't discipline themselves to learn it. Oh, I, I wish I could quote the Bible verse, or I wish I could find these places in the Bible. I wish I could remember it takes work, and, and that takes discipline to get that work done because you don't always feel like doing it. So how do I know that? Well, that's why you haven't done it yet, and I'm human like you, so I know the difficulty that this flesh brings uh, and bears upon trying to do the things that we're supposed to do. Um, and many many people, they, they would like to have that victorious Christian life, that blessed, fruitful, consistent uh, life of a Christian. But again, they won't discipline themselves to do those things that bring about such victory in Jesus. Um, you take the word discipline. There is a connection between the word discipline and, and disciple. And, and if you're going to be a disciple... Of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to take uh, discipline. Both of those words begin with the same seven letters: uh, D I C. I'm sorry, D I S C I P L. Both words have that same root. Discipline, disciple. You to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you got to discipline yourself. A disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ who is one who disciplines himself. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ, following the Lord is not always easy, and that's why it takes discipline. Now, I'm going to tell you this: it's easier than following after sin. While following after sin may be initially easy, the uh, result of living a life in sin is that the way of transgressors is hard. It's hard. And to yoke up with Jesus, you might have to sometimes endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, but his yoke is easy. So ultimately, it is easier to do right than wrong, but the flesh doesn't know that. So so we find that the flesh battling and the world battling and the devil battling, it, it makes it not always the easiest thing to do to follow the Lord. And again, that's why it takes discipline. So following the Lord is not always easy, but you know what? It's always right. And following the Lord is not always fun. That's why it takes discipline. I don't know if that sounds like heresy, but it, but it is the truth. Following the Lord is not always fun. I don't reckon it was fun for Jesus to follow the Father to the cross, and even leading up to that cross, being spit upon, that's no fun. Being scourged in the back, plowing upon his back, that's no fun. Uh, hands and feet nailed to the cross, crowned of thorns on his head, mocked and rigged There's no fun to that. But he endured the cross, despising the shame for us. How did he do that? And he was a man. Behold the man, said Pilate. And Jesus was more man than any man that ever walked the face of this earth. And he had discipline about him. He had discipline. So following the Lord's not always fun, but um, well, well, there's some things in our life th- as well that we do because we're, we discipline ourselves to do it that aren't always fun. Uh, going to work is not always fun. But you discipline yourself to do it anyway or you wouldn't get paid. But listen, the fact that you go to work at times when you don't want to, you know what that shows? It shows that you already know how to exercise discipline. So you can take that same discipline and you can apply it to your Christian life if you only will. Um... The same discipline that gets you uh, out of bed to go to work might be that same discipline that will get you out of bed uh, to come to church on a given uh, Sunday or a given uh, midweek service. Uh, the, same, the same discipline that gets you out of uh, b- bed to go to work might be the same discipline that gets you to Sunday school uh, before the preaching service at your church. Uh, discipline is what enables a person to be faithful. It, it's what enables a person to be obedient and consistent obedience. That's what faithfulness is. When it comes to the Lord, in addition to this, this disciplinary exercise of, of exercising self-discipline, uh, we who, who know the Lord, we do have an added impetus that will help us to maintain our Christian disciplines, and that's the love of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. They tell us, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know, the love that Jesus has for you and the love that you have for Jesus, that's what will drive you to discipline yourself, if you let it. That'll drive you to discipline yourself. That'll drive you to be faithful to, to the Lord even when you don't feel like it. And that, that is largely the key. Uh, doing what you're supposed to do even when you don't feel like it. Uh, there is no such thing as being a disciple of Jesus Christ without having self-discipline. No such thing as victory. No such thing uh, uh, in the Christian life. No such thing as being a literal disciple of Jesus without having self-discipline. Now, as I mentioned, that word discipline is only found once in the Bible, but though it's only found once, the words disciple and disciples together combined They show up 273 times, all but one of those being in the New Testament. So that's an average occurrence of a little over 10 times a book in the New Testament. Of course, they're not actually distributed that way. And matter of fact, the, the words disciple and disciples... And then showing up, like I said, all but one in the New Testament, they actually only show up in five New Testament books. And those are the first five New Testament books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And that makes their average occurrence in those first five foundational books of the New Testament to be a little over 54 times a book. What am I saying? I'm saying the Lord, he's all about you being a disciple. And, and again, with the kinship of those words and understanding of, of where these things come from and, and what they entail, it's going to take self-discipline for you to become a disciple. I'll add this. It's also going to take self-discipline for you to remain a disciple. Now, I guess I should clarify at this point that not every Christian is a disciple. Not every Christian should be a disciple, but it's possible that you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, you are a Christian, and yet you're not a disciple. There's people that get saved and don't grow very much uh, spiritually, and they they just really don't follow the Lord like they should. And uh, there's people that that at one point were following the Lord, but then they they quit following Him. And and in both cases, these people may be saved and go into heaven, but they're not disciples. When the women go to the tomb after Jesus resurrection, they meet up with an angel, and that angel says to them in, in Mark sixteen seven, he says, "But go your way," talking to the, to the women at the at the tomb that he says but go your way tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee there shall you see him as he said unto you tell his disciples and Peter well I thought Peter was a disciple well indeed he was but at that point he's not he didn't say, go tell your disciples, um, and, and and then as you're talking to the disciples, he didn't include Peter in them. He'd included Peter separate from those disciples, his disciples and Peter. Peter had lost his standing as a disciple when he mingled with the devil's crowd and then denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. Now, prior to that, Peter was considered a disciple. As I said, I'll read you one place that indicates that in uh, Matthew 26 with Peter, in verse 40 and 41, Peter, James, and John, there in Gethsemane with Jesus as Jesus prays before his crucifixion. And it says after his session of prayer, first session of prayer, I believe it was there, and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This time, it doesn't say, set, set Peter apart from the disciples. It, it, he's the one that, jesus speaks to among the group of disciples that's there yeah peter james and john there he cometh unto the disciples there they are peter james and john he finds them asleep and he he says this to peter who's one of that group so he's among the disciples there and and he is later on it's go tell his disciples and peter he directs the comments to peter because i mean he knew what peter was going to face peter had affirmed that he'd never deny the lord he was willing to die for him and um he had told Peter, you know, Satan that desired to have you, to sift he might sift you his wheat. And so he's telling, he's directing that to Peter. Pete, he said, could you not watch within an hour? Watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And here, Peter, he was a disciple, but along with James and John, he was a sleeping disciple. Got a lot of that going around. And unfortunately, Peter would not heed the words to uh, watch and pray and and the spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he kept right on sleeping through prayer time as the Lord continued to pray afterwards. And not long after, uh, he denied the Lord. And when he denied the Lord, he lost his position as a disciple. I didn't say he lost his salvation. And I don't say you're going to lose your salvation if you're not a disciple. I'm trying to be clear about that. But you can be saved without being a disciple, without following being being one that's really following the Lord Jesus Christ like a person's supposed to uh, after Peter uh, did this uh, he would have to go through the grueling process of affirming his love for Jesus three times and then getting his life back in order to regain his status as a disciple and and that Peter did he certainly did and by the time you get to Acts chapter 2 Peter is preaching the Lord Jesus Christ to the multitudes and he sees uh, 3,000 souls added to the Lord so if I'm talking to anybody who used to be a disciple but you forfeited your position as uh, Peter did, Uh, there is still great hope for you to be restored to your disciple uh, status and, and be used by the Lord. So a disciple follows his Lord. Peter did, and then he didn't, and then he did again. And thank the Lord that he did again. But again, as I said, it's going to take discipline, folks. It's going to take discipline. People don't like the concept of discipline, so they probably don't like the word self-discipline. I mean, maybe even when you heard that's what this lesson was going to be about. Maybe even as you heard self-discipline, maybe something cringed in your flesh. But it takes it. And we have to implement that in a lot of areas of life. But it takes discipline to be a disciple. It takes discipline to follow the Lord. And a disciple follows his Lord and disciplines himself to do that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is what a disciple does. He follows his Lord, and to do that, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross. Notice the self-denial that is involved. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you must deny yourself. Um, self-denial is accomplished through self-discipline. And you've got to take up your cross. The cross has been explained in in this sense as being that place where your will crosses God's will. Here we are down on the earth and, and everything just in life, there's a tendency for it just to be horizontal, just related to this uh, earth. Our relationship with God is vertical. The Lord's in heaven. We're down here on this earth. So you got a line going up between us and the Lord straight up. And that's, that's doing the will of God, and then you have your own will going horizontal, and, and there's a place where those things sometimes intersect. In other words, where in order to do God's will, you can't do your will. And that's where you reach that cross, and that's where you have to deny yourself and discipline yourself to do it the Lord's way. Luke, uh, he talks about the self-denial as well, and he takes it to another level. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And, and Luke, he's adding daily into this mix. Uh, he's, he's talking to these disciples and tells them not only to take up their cross, but to do it daily. He acknowledges, acknowledges a daily denial, a daily taking up of that cross. And, and this is what Paul describes and, and exclaims in 1 Corinthians 15:31, when Paul said, "I die daily." There is a daily de- dying to self, a daily self-denial, a daily discipline that the Christian needs to implement in order to be victorious and fruitful in order to be a disciple. And you know there is a phrase that shows up uh, twice in the Bible in the Old Testament, it makes reference to the duty of every day, and as I' have read that little phrase within a within a verse, I' have often thought about that in regard to our Christian duties or our Christian disciplines. Uh, there are certain Christian duties or disciplines that must be kept up for the Christian to grow and and bear fruit. And and there are daily disciplines that we need. And it it takes discipline to keep up with those disciplines. So these uh, Christian disciplines, these duties, they're they're always beneficial to the Christian. Um, But though they're beneficial, that old flesh, again, it rebels against it. That's where Galatians 5.17 comes in. It says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. They battle with each other. They fight with each other. And when your flesh rises up as such to be victorious, you're going to have to reckon that flesh to be dead. And reckon yourself to be dead to that flesh. And with your flesh kicking and screaming against your spiritual duties, you're going to have to learn to overcome it with some self-discipline if you really hope to enter into the abundant life in Jesus Christ before you get on home to glory. I want you to know it, may, it might be hard, it might be difficult, your, mess, your flesh might cry out, kick and scream, but I want you to know if you're saved, you can do it. You can do it. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 13 uh, tells us that. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's the Bible. If you're saved, uh, that goes for you. You can do whatever you're supposed to do through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That eliminates all of our excuses. That eliminates our, our excuses for any failures. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's encouraging and it's uh, the potential is great, but uh, it's indicting as well. Because whatever we fail at, the failure is never uh, God's, it's never anybody else's, it's ours. Because we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth us. So to live the abundant Christian life, you're going to have to discipline yourself to be faithful to the duty of every day. And and there's duties that that come in on a daily basis. Now, In both places where that phrase is found in the Bible, the duty of every day, there's more to the phrase. And the fullness of that twice-mentioned phrase says, as the duty of every day required. And there's different things that surround the different places, but, but those words are consistent both times that phrase shows up as the duty of every day required. It's like we have daily spiritual requirements that we need to meet to, t- to stay spiritually healthy. That's that's the um, spiritual teaching that I get from it for, to apply to my own life. And uh, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is proper for doctrine, but also for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. And I gain instruction and in righteousness from that. The duties uh, of every day, those spiritual duties. And the spiritual duties this, that, that we need to discipline ourselves to maintain Uh, For the Christian, they include submitting yourself to God, resisting the devil, dying to self, saying no to sin, reading your Bible, praying to the Lord, and, and walking with God. And there may be more things than that, but certainly not less. And again, man, there's some days and sometimes during the day, your flesh will fight you on these things, kicking and screaming and scraping and scratching. But by the grace of God, by the power of God... You can overcome it. And when you do, how sweet it is. How sweet it is. Proverbs 13:19 says, The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is abomination to fools to depart from evil. And you need to see that you're found in the first half of that verse and not the second. And, and haven't you found it to be true? Haven't you found that first half to be true? The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Haven't you found it to be true? Haven't you ever found ever, ever when, the, when you press through the opposition of, of the flesh and, and you follow through to the leadership of the Spirit, that when it's all said and done, you were glad that you did? I mean, sometimes the flesh fights hardest when the biggest blessing is waiting on the other side of your obedience to God. And when you press through and you get that victory and you get that blessing, what, what a sweet thing it is. It fights hard. It's like the devil knows what you're about to gain. He sees uh, things that you don't see and he fights harder to keep you from getting it. It's also like, I mean, God, obviously, he knows the blessing that he's got in store for you and he's about to get give you if you just press on through. And, and God knows if, if you'll discipline yourself to do right, there's a great blessing on the other side. And so he allows things to get a little bit more difficult to see if you'll go ahead and do right even in the midst of difficulty. To see if you'll go ahead and do right and press on by faith, even though there's hardness to be endured and suffering at times. And then if you do, if you do, when the battle's over, uh, having pressed on through the fight, and you get to the other side of the battle, you're going to find yourself gaining the spoils of spiritual warfare. And uh, boy, that time, you're ready to, you just raise your voice to heaven and give glory to God. I mean, that's how it works when I've seen it happen. And it's a sweet thing to get that victory. So uh, I mentioned already a couple times, I think, at least, that uh, the word discipline only occurs once in the Bible, and that's in Job 36, verse number 10. But even though that word only shows up once, discipline, uh, the idea of discipline can be found throughout the Bible. And one of the greatest descriptions of self-discipline in the Bible, or anywhere for that matter, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'd like to ask you to, to turn to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And we're going to look there at uh, this verse, which is verse number 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And verse number 27. And here's what it says. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. A great truth. The part that really speaks to the discipline are these words. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. What follows is how that's going to benefit you in, in one particular area. It's going to keep you from being a castaway and really keep you from from being a hypocrite. It's going to cause you to practice what you preach. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. It's a great verse, and it's one that every Christian needs to know and every Christian needs to digest. I, I really recommend that you memorize it, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Of course, to memorize it, it's going to take discipline as well. If you're going to memorize this verse about discipline, it's going to take discipline on your, your behalf, your, on your account, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So again, you take that verse, I, I keep under my body. What's he talking about? He's talking about not letting his body control him. I keep under my body. Um, if I, I'm going to say it rearranging the words just for your understanding. Because you might, some people might not see it clearly. I keep under my body. That's the best way to put it. And God speaks better better than me. I'll expound on it a little bit. He's, he's like saying, "I keep my body under. I'm I'm keeping my body underneath, so that it's not going to control me. <clears throat> so I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. The last clause defines for us the first, or explains for us the first. That's what I means. What it means by keeping under my body. I'm bringing it into subjection. So I'm not, I'm not going to let my body control me. I'm going to control my body. And What Paul's saying, he, he's not letting his body tell him what to do. He's telling his body what to do. That is to say, he's not a slave to his flesh. He is not a servant to his body. Rather, he disciplines himself to bring his body into subjection to cause his body to be a servant to Jesus Christ. He presents his body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is his reasonable service. And it's our reasonable service as well. Take your old flesh. Your old flesh, it, it, it wants some things. And look, sometimes you just got to tell it no. And you got to tell it no whenever it wants something it's not supposed to have. Your carnal nature, your flesh, is not your friend. Uh, it is an enemy to your very well-being. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Abstain. Abstain from fleshly lust. Abstinence takes discipline no matter what fleshly lust you're abstaining from, because your flesh wants it, and you have to subdue that flesh by the Spirit of God. Um, even apart from Christian living, there's many desirable things to obtain that, that require discipline in order to get them. And if you look at the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, back up in verse 24. Uh, he uses an illustration. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Here he uses somebody running in a race. He's going to train. He's striving for the mastery so he can win and, and gain victory. And he, he's temperate in all things. He's going to discipline himself. He's going to exercise self-control in in probably his diet and and certainly his exercise to prepare and train for this. And it says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And as I have first seen this and continue to look at this verse, you know, after being saved, first saying, I mean, what what it always brings to memory for me is um, the Olympians, the people that compete in the Olympics. And I remember as a child watching the Olympics and seeing um, some uh, stories about people as they train. And you'd have these figure skaters. They'd be, they'd be getting up, you know, wee hours in the morning. It's still dark out. Going to the rink and practicing, you know, all day and working on things. And, and in many different cases, there's, there's self-denial for the different um, sports that they're competing in. There's long hours of training, hard work, and they do it but they do it to to obtain a corruptible crown. That is, their gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal, it won't last forever. It'll perish when this earth does. They'll leave it behind when they go. It's not a crown that they can take with them. He says, however, we're to do it to obtain an incorruptible. There's a crown, there are crowns that we can gain by disciplining ourselves. Therefore, Paul went on and said in verse 26, I'll read you the end of 25 first. I'll read you all 25 first. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run. I'm going to run like that with and discipline myself to do it, to run this race of the Lord set before me, this spiritual race, so that I can gain that incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. There's rewards that are gained uh, from, from exercising the self-discipline. As you can see from uh, the beginning of the illustration about somebody running a race and disciplining himself, being temperate, uh, exercising discipline in other areas of your life, as Paul related that then to him uh, fighting and running the good fight of fighting the good fight of faith, or running that race, exercising areas in other areas of your dis, or exercising discipline in other areas of your of your life, that can help you to actually be more disciplined in your Christian life. Paul said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna keep under my body. I'm gonna bring in subjection." and And I've found that incorporating uh, these things, uh, discipline in, in life, just in general, can translate for me into my uh, spiritual life. And, and therefore, I recommend incorporating some exercises and in self-discipline into your life. Uh, these little things can translate into your Christian life, and, and they can bring about great dividends. I heard a story many years ago about um, the boxer Joe Lewis. And uh, when he was in training, it was said that Joe Lewis would, um, when he'd go to lunch or dinner or whatever, he'd go into the cafeteria, and he'd get him his uh, good food, nutritious food. But uh, he would always, before he sat down, said he'd always go by the dessert area, and he'd grab him a piece of chop- chocolate cake. And he's in training now, so he's not going to be eating that chocolate cake. But but he grabbed it anyway, and he'd sit it down on the table right there uh, in front of him while he was eating his meal. And uh, they said that Joe would say about that, he'd say, as I was eating uh, my uh, food, the good stuff that I needed, he said that chocolate cake would uh, cry out to me and it'd would say, Eat me, Joe! Eat me! Eat me! and And Joe would deny himself and, and say, "I'm not going to do it i'm not going and and he would walk away from his meal, having finished his nutritious stuff, and leave the chocolate cake there. All that was just to exercise some discipline and 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 that would help him you know in in, in his area of, of fighting. That's just little discipline. Um, there's things like that that we can do uh to help us to to be disciplined in our lives and then apply them in our Christian life. Uh, here here 's something you could do um, make your bed, make your bed you know when i when I lived alone bachelor's status right um, Bible school uh, living alone uh, many years uh was by myself uh, I made my bed I, I I made it now as a kid we we learn great philosophical arguments and a lot of philosophy is just people uh making excuses for not wanting to do work <laughs> but but the argument that the across the board seems to be given to the parents is uh when the when mom tells him to make uh, your bed uh mom i don't see why i should make my bed i'm just going to mess it up tonight anyway well uh I, even though that was the case I'd, I'd make my bed and i mean you know what bachelor pads are like right you usually go in there, stuff strewn all over the floor, um, uh, dishes piled up that aren't clean in the sink, and the bed's a mess, and uh, just a general mess. But but I, to me, to live like that, it it didn't it didn't go well for my. If if my place ever looked like that, it just showed that things were getting out of hand, and I needed to to get them back together. And so I I just disciplined myself to make my bed. I wasn't going to have any visitors, you know. Usually, A rare was a visitor that would come in, and I wasn't doing it so that it would look good if somebody came in. I, it just I worked better that way uh, in an organized situation, things decently and in an order. I did have a guy come in and visit one time. He took a look around at the house and he said, and he was another fellow bachelor student. And he he looked around the house. And he said, "Do you have somebody come in and clean for you?" <laughs> I said, "I said yes. When when I'm in bed, I have little elves that come out at night and, and clean up the place for me." No man, I, I just I just did it myself, and I, I wasn't on a crusade to make everybody else do it. But that's I worked better that way. There is an interesting um, speech. Maybe we could put a link up to it. But it's on on YouTube. It's a, a short graduation speech that's given by uh, Admiral William McRaven on that very subject. And which I didn't come across this till you know just a few years ago, maybe a couple of years ago or so. Um, but it's called "Make Your Bed," and, and it's a "Make Your Bed" graduation speech that he gives. Uh, on YouTube, and he just talks about the benefits of that and, and how these little things can make a big difference in your life. I recommend you check it out. It's it's worthwhile. Uh, here's something else you can do. I'm talking about right now some exercise and self-discipline. You can do to discipline yourself um, to, to help you in just help you have some discipline. Uh, You know, when you're eating a snack, do you ever notice sometimes you may eating chips, you know, nuts, popcorn, crackers, um, Lay's potato chips, no one can eat just one. And and you ever find yourself just mindlessly eating them to the point where you're not really even enjoying them. It's just, here you are, you got one in your mouth chewing on it, and you're automatically grabbing for the next one to put it in. And it's just, when I catch myself doing that, I'll make it a point to, to wait a certain amount of time before eating the next one. If I'm reading a book, I might be all right. I'm going uh, to wait uh, until I get to the end of the page. Actually, uh, did that when I was I, this this morning reading my Bible. Um, I, earlier today, I had I was doing that, and I had um, uh, a cup of uh, herbal tea, uh, Celestial Seasonings um, Vermont Maple Ginger Tea. It's been kind of my go-to uh, tea. Heated up. Put some honey in it, and uh, I find myself for just for disciplinary measures. Measures, not really. I wasn't even doing it because I'm preaching on it. Just kind of how I I roll sometimes. I said, "All right, I'm not going to have another drink till I get to the end of this page." And they're just little discipline things, but but they help me to be able to say no to my flesh. Help to keep that in in, in good good area. To where when it comes to an important area, I'll be able to do it. So so you can kind of do that while you're eating something or drink something. Um, you know, be creative and, and just discipline yourself. Uh, here, here's something, I mean, an area of discipline, put away your clothes, hang them up or put them where they go. That, that takes discipline, especially for, for us men. Cause you know, a lot of you married men, you know, your wives will handle that for you. I'm not sure that they like it. But I got to the place, you know, and I, and I used to be like that. And, and, but it's been a number of years where I just realized, you know, what, well, I just didn't have to leave these down to make her pick them up. And so uh, I'll just make it a point, you know, just do it. And um, it's a little discipline. So, again, why do all these things? Again, because exercising discipline in other areas of your life can help you be more disciplined in, in your Christian life. Uh, the first time that I fasted in my life, I wasn't even saved. And it wasn't for spiritual purposes. I I did it so that I could make weight in a, uh intramural wrestling tournament for for high school. But when I was done, I, I, I had like this epiphany. Like, I mean, at 24 hours I went without eating. And it was like, wow, I, I can actually do this and, and not die. <laughs> and... It helped me. It helped. It has helped me to fast. You know, after I got saved, and and exercise discipline in other areas. It's interesting. I keep talking about exercising discipline. It's An interesting phrase, exercising discipline. It's interesting because exercise is one of the things that takes discipline to accomplish. First Timothy four eight says, "For bodily exercise profiteth little, and for the Christian, uh, some of that uh, profit that you gain as you push yourself in physical exercise." can help you to push yourself in spiritual endeavors. And again, I, I speak whereof I know. I've, I've, these are things are tried and true, and I've found that, that this has helped. Um, just some, doing some physical exercise and pushing myself there uh, after starting a, a, a regimen of doing some of that, uh, I found that it helped me, like, like in running, pushing myself running, it helped me afterwards to push myself to read more Bible. And it can help you do the same thing, whatever exercise you might do. It can help you push yourself to come out to church more often. Um, I, it can help you to push yourself to, to get that person a track that maybe your flesh doesn't feel like doing, but your spirit is telling you you need to do. And so much more. Now, there's another good verse, and we're winding down here. There's another good verse about self-discipline in 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to ask you to turn there if you would like to see it again. It's First Corinthians chapter 6. I'm also going to guess that when we see it, it's going to be really eye-opening for some of you. Because for some of you, it's going to be like you've never seen it before. Wherein, wherein even though you have seen it, maybe you've never noticed it before. And, and maybe you haven't noticed it before. Maybe some of you have never actually seen it before. But, but either way, I, I think it's going to be enlightening for some of you. But, but here it is. There's a lot tucked in the Bible that's there that we don't always notice the, uh, when we read it. And I still pick up some things as I'm reading the Bible. It's like, I, I know I've read that before, but like where did that come from? <laughs> Here's one, one, Corinthians 6, verse number 12. And it says this, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I draw your attention especially to that last part. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Even if something isn't overtly wrong, it can become a sin when it brings you under its power. Now, we know there are plenty of wrong things that, that bring people under the power. Plenty of things that we know are overtly wrong. Cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, pornography. Uh, these addictions bring people under their power and ruin lives. And that's why the best way to, to keep from getting addicted to anything bad is to never start in the first place. But uh, there is, there's so many things, so many bad things that want to uh, suck you in and, and take over your life. Uh, the wrong kind of music can do that. Gambling can do that and that's uh, probably doing it more and more now with the uh, legalized uh, sports betting um and all kinds of places <coughs> spending money can do that for some people can can bring them on, bring it uh, that bring people under its power going into debt they can take over your life bring you under their power those things lying can do that stealing can do that uh, demonic games, movies, books, TV shows, uh, they can all bring you under their power. But um, whatever brings you under the, your power that shouldn't have you under its power, the Lord Jesus Christ can make you free. And if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, Ye shall be free indeed. And still, the lesson uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12 is that even a good thing, when not done in moderation, can bring you under its power. When I say a good thing, uh, I'm not talking about uh, God. I'm talking about things that are okay to do. But they can take over your life where they shouldn't. Philippians chapter 4 verse 5 says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. What is moderation? Webster in his 1828 says, It's restraint of violent passions or indulgence of appetite. He also says it's frugality and expenses. But speaking of the appetite, as in definition number one, uh, I have a good friend of mine. He was the best man in my, my wedding. Um, he was a pastor in Kenya for many years, now pastors in West Virginia, been there for many years. And uh, this friend of mine, um, he got to the place where he recognized that, that for him, even a candy bar could become sin for him if he couldn't say no to it. He, he was reckoning and understanding this idea that I, I shall not be brought under the power of any. You're going to dictate to your flesh what it what it can do and what it can't do and not let your flesh dictate to you what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And, you know, sometimes Christians, they'll get victory over the glaring sins of life, some of, some of which I talked about a few moments ago. But then they will excuse themselves as they allow other things to take control and have power over them. I came across a, a little four-line Christian poem uh, many years ago that speaks to this. In, um, in the area of, of not throttling our... Uh, well, l- l- let me just let this, the poem speak to you about it. It says, Saintly Joe Glorite had none of the vices, except that he doted on sugar and spices. He looked with dis- disdain on the pipe and the bottle, but his caloric intake... He never could throttle. I trust that you understand that. It's not a sin to eat. we got to eat to live. (laughs) I mean, you're going to have to eat uh, to live. But we can let it take over our lives. Or we can can overindulge on some things that ought to be done in moderation as far as your eating. And um, that's not good for your health and, and it's not good for your spirit. And so Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'm not going to be, when he says, I will not be brought under the power of any, that is self-discipline. Because nothing ought to have power over you but the Lord. Now, anything else got power over you in your life that you need to rein in or get rid of? If so, then it's time for you to go to battle and wrestle it off the throne of your heart so Jesus Christ can take his rightful place. You know, among the fruit of the Spirit is temperance. And temperance is moderation, moderation particularly habitual moderation in regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions. That's from Webster's 1828. What is it? It's keeping under the body. It's self-discipline. It's Romans 8.13 For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. There's another verse like 1 Corinthians 6.12 and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse number 23. And it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. If a thing is not edifying you, but rather dragging you down spiritually, then you need to discipline yourself to stay away from it. Now you can also note that both in 1 Corinthians 6.12 and 10.23, they all began by saying, All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. That is, maybe the thing won't send you to hell... But it might not be helpful to you, and it might not be suitable to Christian behavior, and it might hurt somebody else, and it might be a bad testimony, and it might not glorify God. And so, friends, you you got to learn, brothers and sisters in Christ, to discipline yourself to see that whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you you do all of that to the glory of God, and as you do that, God he's going to be glorified. And you're going to be edified, and that'll be a du- double blessing. And so learn to exercise self-discipline. Learn to keep under your body and bring it into subjection. And the benefits will benefit the work of God and benefits you personally. And you'll be glad that you did.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Strobel. Well, let's go to the pastors, Pastor Stephen Bear.
2: Well,
4: uh, I'm looking for an altar uh, to go and, Amen. and pray. Amen. Uh, uh, you know how do you how do you add anything to that? I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, you, you you covered all the bases and uh, uh, put conviction on on all of our hearts. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's never a popular subject to talk about that because we all find just uh, you know parts in our life that that need to be uh, taken care of and and corrected um you know i I think i guess like i said there's not much i can really add to this other than maybe the fact that that it is an ongoing process Uh, when you get discipline in one area uh, and and the lord gives you some victory there then there's another place to go it's it's never any place that we can really set our laurels on and and say that we have arrived in fact all kind of hints to that, and, and it may not be directly uh, tied to discipline, but but I think it still has application to it. Let me say this, you know, before I before I get to the verses that I'm, I'm talking about, uh, we really do what we want to do, and we may talk like we want to do something, but when we really do what we want to do, I, I guess say it that way, because if we really wanted to, to accomplish the disciplines that Pastor Strobel's talking about, uh, we'd, we'd do them. Uh, you know, he, he was mentioning some of the things that he uh, did as a young man, whether it's making his bed or cleaning up his place. You know, for some people, that's like, really, you, you go that far? You know, but each of us has something, uh, you know, uh, unique to us that we do in that, in that kind of frame. Uh, you know, I may not do everything that he does as, in, in that regard, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't make my bed or anything like that, but, but in a broader sense, but there's still some things that, that each of us do that we see as being important. And uh, whether we put that in, in, in the framework of our Christian life, that's, that's really what he's trying to get across and, and trying to put some of these principles in, in play. The love of Christ constraineth us, which is what He uh, presented to us, and and that is the motivating factor that uh, helps us to accomplish the discipline that we need in our Christian life to stay in fellowship with Him, and and always pressing forward. And which is really kind of uh, the the thing that I'm that want to talk about, or at least bring to your attention, is found in Philippians chapter three, And a verse that we we most most of us, as Christians probably know and aspire to, is found in verse ten. but I think we need to read a little bit further than that it says in verse ten that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, that by me that if by uh, any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which I also am apprehended of Christ, of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I find sometimes and, and this maybe just a, a little bit of a self reflection, there's times that I really get down on myself because of things that I know that I should do that I don't. And uh I have these aspirations of wanting to do them and, and developing the 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 discipline to be able to accomplish them my problem sometimes is is that i i i get myself so down on myself because i don't accomplish it that i don't put those things in the past and press towards the mark the prize of the high calling of god in this case discipline and getting victory in in the area that i'm that i'm working on and sometimes if we just uh uh say okay you know that's in the past let's let's press towards the mark let's let's get this thing accomplished and I'm not saying put a positive attitude towards it, but but in a sense, yes, put a positive attitude towards it,
2: yeah, in saying amen. that
4: you can get this thing accomplished instead of just, uh, how many times have I tried? How many times have I tried to to set up, you know, a Bible reading program, and and uh, and I failed, and I failed, and I failed. Well, set it up again. Forget those defeats, and just set it up again, and press towards that mark. You know, I think oftentimes the devil just wants to put that that uh, that uh, cloud of doubt upon our minds because we haven't been able to accomplish it before, and we give up trying. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, it is something that we are going to be dealing with all of our life. I think once we get victory in one area, God's going to show us another. And we shouldn't be discouraged in that. We ought to be encouraged. Because if he's giving us something new to work on, that means that we're doing something right with something else. So, uh, you know, this, uh, this subject is, is one that I'm not a particularly disciplined person. I really have to work at it. It doesn't come naturally for me. Some people have a, a better grasp on discipline than I do. But nonetheless, I, I find that it's something that I have to keep doing. That's part of the Christian life. And uh, to get yourself all despondent and discouraged, and and uh, you know, uh, not forgetting those things of the past, uh, you're doomed to not have the discipline that you want. So, I encourage you to put those things in the past and and reach forth those things which are before, the prize, the high calling of God. So, Amen, brother. Good, good, uh, good uh, uh, lesson here for the uh, for for today.
1: Amen, Pastor Matt.
3: Amen. great study yeah you know it made me think when you gave the analogy of of course somebody that goes to work and and good employee and things like that you know if you didn't have good self-discipline to go to work every day you know and on time eventually of course the boss you'll be disciplined by the boss if you don't have good self-discipline and and so then finally you know a lot of times and when i first graduated college and was an x-ray tech and and things like that we had a guy that graduated college maybe a couple of years after me and started working and stuff. And he was just horrible, like, you know, coming in on time. He wouldn't show up some days. And they started deducting, of course, his pay and things like that. That was one thing that the major thing that really motivated him to start coming back again, you know, kind of faithfully for a little while at work is he saw he was getting disciplined. <laughs> he wasn't getting the money he should. So that was what was kind of propelling him to try and have some self discipline. Was because he wasn't gaining those rewards. He was being disciplined, and so what I found out though is that even though he would come, he would not be very good at his job. And 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 because the only reason why he was really doing what he was doing is is because he wanted to gain the rewards of money. And uh, I think we can kind of go in those kind of lines as well. To you know, if we want to be a good child of God and a good Christian and and things like that, it shouldn't be, as we've already stated here, the love of Christ constraineth us. The whole whole reason why we do what we do and and have self-discipline is not for the rewards or not for, you know, getting disciplined if we don't do it. Uh, Our motivation should be because um, we absolutely love uh, the Lord. And if you absolutely love what you do, all right, if you love your job, it's not going to be as hard to be self-disciplined to get up in the morning and go to work. If you love what you do, you're going to love getting up. You're going to love going to work. You're going to love uh, working as hard as you can because you're not doing it necessarily for the rewards, but but because you love doing it. And, uh, you know, we see, of course, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and if you do love them, you will keep his commandments. And And, And, uh, you know, you look at, uh, just for an example, David, and Acts chapter 13, verse 22 says that, uh, of course, God chose him to be king because he was a man after his own heart. And uh, when you look at David, I mean, what a great man of God. I mean, we, we know that he, of course, messed up, but he got right. And uh, he was motivated because he loved the Lord. And when you look in uh, Psalm 27, verse 4, you say, well, you know, how, how can I just absolutely love coming to church, be disciplined to come to church? Uh, you look at David in Psalm 27, verse 4, he said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord in the choir in his temple. And you say, "Why was he so faithful?" Well, because he loved the Lord. That was. Uh, it wasn't because he was afraid to get disciplined by God, or because he wanted to gain the benefits necessarily. But it was because he loved the Lord, and he just wanted to meet with Him. And uh, you, you know, you look at uh, look at Psalm one nineteen, of course, well known passage of Scripture. But you say, "Well, you know, how do I just keep faithful in my word of God?" You know, and and it comes back down again to I believe. Um, loving the Lord and in Psalm 119 verse 9 says wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word with my whole heart have I sought thee oh let me not wander from thy commandments thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee and and, uh, a lot of times it comes down to our hearts you know and 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 unfortunately, our heart is wicked. Amen. You know Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so, even though we can say, you know, what I love the Lord and and things like that, we can, as the Book of Revelation says, we can leave our first love easily because our heart is so wicked, and even go after even good things. You know, like a candy bar or something like that, and it can draw our hearts away. And then in Psalm one nineteen, um, one of my favorite verses. I'm sorry, one of my favorite songs, hymns to sing is uh, Come Thou Fount. And one of the reasons why I think it just means so much to me is because of uh, the third line, the, ver- the verse three. It says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it seal it for thy courts above. And, you know, every time I read that hymn, you know, I think about myself and my heart and, you know, I think about David and I mean, I could almost see David saying those exact words in Psalm 119 verse 32, the Bible says this, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. You know, David was always asking God, please, you know, you you need to take control of my heart. Verse 36, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. And lastly, here, look at Psalm 86. I mean, you say, Well, why was D- David such a man after God's own heart? Why did he have so much discipline, you know, to to love the Lord, to love coming to church, to love the Bible, to love doing right? I believe it's because uh because he daily asked the Lord to take his heart. Uh Psalm eighty six, verse eleven says, teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth, unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. And that's, uh, I, I truly believe, as it's already been stated, one of the most important things is the love of Christ constraineth us, and if we're going to be self-disciplined, uh the, the greatest way or the, the biggest help, I believe, is is having a heart that uh, loves the Lord and just love uh, serving Him.
1: Amen. Um, thanks, Pastor Strobel, for the study. It was um, well-heated and well-needed and much appreciated. Amen. I, I will also say I may or may not have been reaching for a couple of Hershey's Kisses while you were in that section of the, <laughs> of the thing. And, it kind of took some of the luster off the chocolate so i put it away. <laughs> well,
2: just you know moderation one every so many minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah i hope people understand that the the, the context and all of that i'm not saying you can't eat certain things that's what you eat is going to be between you and the lord but it's it's just not letting that flesh control you. Is amen
1: amen well before we wrap up anything else for the uh, the good of the cause uh, I got the crickets this time <laughs> alright folks well there's our theme song the Lord could be coming you know it's 2023 the The Lord could return this year I want to thank Pastor Strobel Pastor Matt Pastor Steve for you know of their time and, and for pastor strobel to, to do the bible study for uh, this time around you know it might be a good idea to maybe uh, pick up your bible today your king james bible and read some today start your track on self-discipline or or praying more or witnessing more whatever it might be um, but lord willing we'll see you again real soon and uh press on
0: the skies, but we're going where no one dies, heaven went by. World, goodbye. Homeward, we then will fly. Glory to share. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will, Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous be him. in the skies. Going where no one dies. Heavenward bound, Jesus is coming soon. Morning or night or noon, many will many, many meet will meet there. their doom. Trumpets, will, Trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise, righteous be in the skies. Going where going where no one dies. Heavenward bound.
3: need a live audience (laughs) like that that gets that excited even in church
2: (laughs) (laughs) what a message (laughs)